0: All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Brianna Seely. We're at Adelsign. It's uh, Tuesday, January 20th, 2020. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us today, Brianna. We appreciate this. Uh, Thanks for being here. Let's start with the most important question, which is why wine? What brought you into this industry?
1: Yes, so that answer, it goes, it goes way back for me. Um, I grew up in restaurants and in the food and beverage industry. My parents have owned and operated restaurants their whole lives, so my whole life, and through that, um, I just fell in love with the food and beverage industry from a very young age, and the path that food and wine has taken me on is something I never really could have imagined, um, so some of my earliest memories in restaurants were at five years old, walking through kitchens, yelling behind and people looking at me like, what is this five year old doing in the kitchen, but I felt very comfortable. Um, and. So going through school, I really I loved to learn from a young age. I remember loving school, but when I got to junior high and high school, it really shifted for me. Like the thing that had just intrinsically been in me around learning had shifted, Mm -hmm. and so I started working. I needed an outlet outside of school, and at 15, I got my first job as a busser in a restaurant, and really it. Restaurants kind of became my other school, Um, you know, a place where I learned so much about the world and, of course, wine. Mm -hmm. And I graduated from high school in 2003 and did not have good grades and didn't know what I was doing or where I was going, but the expectation was absolutely there that I would go to college. And starting at about 15 years old when I was working in restaurants, uh, my dad had a love for wine from a very young age from his early 20s and about 15 years old we started sharing wine together and he would on, we'd have these sunday night dinners he would open up a bottle of wine and talk to me about wine in a way that really just it grabbed hold of me and he talked about the place and the people and he never told me what i should be tasting or what i was experiencing but it was this really that connection between the moments that happen in wine it just clicked. So I was going away to college and didn't know what I was going to do. I applied for Southern Oregon University and showed up in September of 2003, sight unseen, and uh, really the biggest draw was that it was as far away as I could get from Lake Oswego, which was my hometown, and still be within Oregon, so I was (laughs) in-state tuition, and I remember getting there, and I've always been a big journaler and writer and i had this moment of uh, writing in my journal and i remember writing i feel like i can breathe again and there was something about being there and in that place that really like ignited this thing in me so um wine the reason all of that comes into play is that i realized very quickly that my relationship with wine was not normal for an 18 year old and uh, for christmas that year i asked for willamette valley bin Willamette Valley Vineyards Founders Reserve 1998 Pinot Noir, for a case, naturally, not you know, <laughs> bottle would do. Um, my parents obviously didn't buy that for me, but I just knew that this was something I had to continue with and the curiosity continued. And the beauty of Southern Oregon is that it was this wine region that I had no idea existed. And um, by the time I was of legal drinking age, I had been working in restaurants around Ashland, which is a wonderful food town. And uh, had been exploring the wineries and vineyards around Southern Oregon. And that was my junior year. My senior year, I was cramming in 20 credits a term just trying to finish school. And I had to do a business plan of a something, something that spoke to me. So I decided that I would do a boutique wine distributor. And I remember, I will never forget going to my professor uh, for the, you know, capstone project and telling him that this is what I was going to do. And he just looked at me like I was crazy. He couldn't understand what, why this three tier system existed, um, how it could be profitable, the whole thing. He basically told me no. And so um, that was my starting point. As soon, once I get a no, it's like, okay, great. Now let me go figure out how to make this happen. So uh, I'm very grateful. There was a woman who was running the MBA program at SAU at that time who came from a wine-growing region, and she knew exactly what the three-tier system was and was able to articulate it and uh, kind of advocate on my behalf for, like, yes, she needs to move forward with this. <laughs> so uh, the only requirements were um, I had to had to be 35 pages, have full real financials, a legit business plan, and I had to interview 10 people within the industry. And I had no idea. I didn't. There's no way I could have known where this all would take me. But I knew that I was completely passionate about this project and about the wine industry. So I went through these 10 interviews, which were incredible. Everyone from you know, restaurateurs that were running wine programs to um, small wholesalers, um, sales reps, uh, a lot of names that are still in the industry today. Mm -hmm. Um, And my final interview that I had was at the Medford branch of what was then Columbia Distributing, Mm -hmm. still around, but in a different form. Mm -hmm. And um, it was with Kelly Rhodes, who was the vice president of that branch. And I interviewed him for an hour and a half and had all my you know, perfect questions together. And at the end of the interview, he looked at me and he said, so what are you gonna do next? And I had no idea, I hadn't even gotten that far. I was so engulfed in this project. And it really was the first time I had that moment of, okay, wait, sales is not the thing that I've always thought sales was. You can sell something that you love, that you feel so strongly about to people that feel the same way about what they're doing. And so that's where that connection between selling wine and uh, you know restaurant tours like that marriage happened for me and uh, from that moment on I knew that was what I was going to pursue mm-hmm. so it was great um, I politely declined because I well he offered me a job and I politely declined because I wanted to come back to Portland moved back to Portland and spent the year uh, traveling the world and interviewing with Youngs Columbia and uh, by September of 2008, um, I had been to nine countries and tasted wine everywhere from Chile to uh, Germany, and I landed a job at 22 years old uh, with Young's Columbia as a sales associate for On-Premise. And I just, I took to it like a... Fish to water. It was just awesome. I was having a blast. And by November of that year, for um, those who have been uh, exposed to the wholesale industry in a big way, um, so that was 2008, that was when Columbia and Mount Hood merged. Big shakeups happening. It was also the time that Southern Wine and Spirits was coming into. Uh, the Oregon market, so there was just a lot going on in the wholesale world, so um, I was very fortunate that I landed a sales route within two months of starting in wholesale. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew how to speak the restaurant language, and I knew I loved the product, and I loved the puzzle of trying to match the right wine mm-hmm. with the right account, and um, you know, seeing that magic come to life. Mm-hmm. So that was really how I got started. And then from there, I, I'm so grateful that I traveled the way I did because it turned into a career and I had no idea that that's what would happen. Um, so let's see, until, so 08 until probably 2012 is when I just worked my way up through different sales routes. And during that time, I got my CSW. I also really fell in love with sake. Uh, Young's to this day has one of the greatest sake portfolios uh, in Oregon in the country, and they have a sake samurai, and Marcus Bikiser, he became a mentor to me. So this whole just beverage, alcoholic beverage, you know, thing just kept snowballing for me. I just loved it. And by 2012, Young's was starting a fine wine division in Oregon, and it's the entity that they still operate with today, which is called the Estates Group. And I, was selected to be one of the first sales reps for that division and building that out. And we really operated as a company within a company. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the time I moved on from Young's in early 2019, uh, I was the vice president of the estates group, the fine wine division. And at 33 years old and 11 years into my career, I loved wholesale. I really enjoyed what I was doing. I was still learning, but I also realized I'm really good at this. I enjoy it very much, but I, I, I don't know what I don't know yet. And I had never been on the winery side of the business. Mm-hmm. And so much of um, what has driven me in the wine industry and in my wholesale years was connecting with the individuals at each winery, seeing their places, hearing their stories, drinking their wine, making those moments together. And I wanted to see what it felt like to be a part of that on the other side mm-hmm. and Joth Ricky was the CEO at Adelsheim at that time and I had I sold Adelsheim my whole career at Young's and then managed that portfolio for seven years of that time and um, he and I just kind of started having conversations and Adelsheim uh, were still going through changes mm-hmm. we were going through a lot of changes mm-hmm. then and understood that we had a need in the direct consumer um, you talk to Kelly you're going to be talking to Gina um, we have always made great wine, David Adelsheimer, founder, you can't tell the Oregon story without mentioning his name. Uh, what Gina does in the cellar with her team is incredible, and direct-to-consumer has, uh, it hasn't has been an afterthought, but we haven't uh, invested in it in a way that really, I think, stands up to mm-hmm. who we are. Mm-hmm. And. Um, So I took a complete left turn in uh, February of 2019. Um, I came to work here at Adelsheim as vice president of consumer sales. And it was a really, it it was an interesting route to go because I had been in wholesale and consumer sales is the complete other side of the coin, but that was intentional. I knew that it tapped into my restaurant roots, but there would be enough that I didn't know Mm -hmm. that it would stretch me outside my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's really kind of my long and uh, winding path, you know, through the industry. Um, And the last year here at Adelsheim has been awesome. It's been so great to learn um, a lot more on the production side of things, um, connect with Oregon wineries in a different way. I was very connected in wholesale and uh, it's just opened up that world uh, even more. Mm
0: So I'm curious, you mentioned just sort of growing up in restaurants and being around restaurants and obviously you mentioned kind of learning wine through your father and, and that kind of special, what, why wine versus food or some other part of the restaurant? What, what was it that kept wine coming back as the, as the main thing you wanted to do?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because my mom is a classically trained chef and food is very much a part of our mm-hmm. world. Sundays, uh, what I didn't mention about the Sunday dinners is that uh, in our house, um, Sunday, Sunday is your Saturday, right? When you're in restaurants, Saturday is your Friday, Sunday is your uh, Saturday. That was the day we ate. It was like we woke up, my mom made a huge breakfast, cleaned up, my mom made a huge dinner. Um, so food is right in there with it and I love to cook myself. Um, But one of the things of growing up in restaurants is that I didn't want to be, I knew I didn't want to be in daily operations. Um, Seeing that lifestyle, my parents did an incredible job of being there for my sister and I, and I am so grateful for the sacrifices they made, and I knew that I wanted a different lifestyle. I wanted to be home in the evenings and be able to take vacations and things like that. So when I learned, that's why the wholesale route was initially where I went, it was like, okay, this is a Monday through Friday thing. I, it was crazy when I got my first route, my, well, my then boyfriend, now husband, was like, what are you doing now until 9 o'clock? You go to work at 8 and you're, you're supposed to go home at 5, but I would just go sit at restaurants and work at the bar and it felt so strange to have my evenings free. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really, it was a, it was a lifestyle, um, yeah, it was very intentional career choice at that point
0: about learning that part of wine, coming at it from the angle of sales and, of, and of distri- distribution. What did you know that you, that you already needed to know? What did you have to learn once you got into sales f- from that perspective? I had to learn so much. I
1: didn't, I had no idea how much I had to learn. Um, I knew, what I, what I knew already was how to tell stories. So I would go to text sheets and I would read about wineries and um, you know, I, I did a lot that way. But what I really had to learn was you know, I talked a little bit earlier about um, matching the right wine with the right account, mm-hmm. qualifying um, accounts, figuring out you know, okay, these are the goals we have as a wholesaler, which is the reality, right? How do I match that up with my account base in a way that feels really good mm-hmm. for everyone, where I'm selling them a product that will pull through, and um, you know, they're getting a product that they feel excited about. That was a huge piece that I had to learn, um, and then I got my CSW because I had no idea you know, I didn't know about Burgundy or Bordeaux or, you know, Germany, I didn't, I had tasted some wines from around the world, but, I mean, I had only been legal drinking age at, you know, a year at that point, so. <laughs> yeah.
0: as, you, as, you're, as you're telling those stories and, 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 and finding those right matches, what was it you were looking for when you were telling a winery story, and what was mm-hmm. it you were looking for in terms of how that would fit, what, what made it a good match?
1: Hmm. I mean it really depends on the on the restaurant account and uh, what the needs were for the business mm-hmm. so if it was a more corporate account and uh, you know depending on their clientele it was finding you know maybe a more recognizable winery or brand that fit with their program um, if you know my first territory um, was the inner east side up and down division before it looked like it does today and it was considered a C territory which is crazy because now it's incredible you know food scene and um so if it was a more you know esoteric um smaller eastside chef-driven restaurant it was finding something that you know if they were organic and sustainable biodynamic um female-owned finding that thread you know that really connected
0: you mentioned kind of coming into the distribution side at, at a time of great change in, uh, in distribution. Uh, something we've heard a lot from the production side or from the sales side in the past is how much more difficult it's getting to sell wine now versus as those consolidations. So tell me about the consolidation and about uh, what that meant for you and what that, how, that, how you saw things change for, for your job specifically as you kind of grew into uh, fine wine sales.
1: So, that's a big question. There's a lot of elements to that. I mean, because consolidation is still happening. I mean, it's amazing that it's almost 15 years later, right? And we're still kind of in that mode. Um, So, the other thing that I didn't mention about that time is that it was right when the recession was really starting to hit the Oregon market. So, working uh, in an industry, in a company during a time of consolidation, Really what I've learned through my career, this has been kind of a theme that has come up over and over again, is change, and looking at those really terrifying situations as opportunity. That's really, I mean, the only way you can thrive and survive and get through it is, okay, this is the, you know, I'm in a new territory for the third time this year. I just got to know those buyers. How do we move forward and um, just finding those opportunities and you know the positive bright spots in it and moving forward with that because otherwise it's debilitating and it's impossible and um, you know one of the things that I I say to my team here I used to say at Young's all the time is that um, putting any energy that you put towards your competitor is energy you could be putting towards yourself and your own growth and that was something that I focused on you know laser focused on when we were going through these really rough times, and our competitors would try to, you know, go out in the market and say, "Well, Young's is going through this really tough time, so make, you know, mm-hmm. you know, move your business away from them." And yes, of course, that happens to a degree, but um, using that as your leading selling point, you know, it didn't, it didn't serve me, mm-hmm. I guess.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, was there a second part to the consolidation? I'm curious yeah.
0: how the how you saw the relation. Uh, w- w- when we talk to the people who are, have been selling wine a long time, and they talk about it, used to be lots and lots of lots and lots of distribution, lots of options, fairly easy to get your wine. As the as the industry grew and the distribution consolidated, it's mm-hmm. the opposite of that now. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how you saw like relationships relationships change and how you saw like your job change either for the Better or the worse as the, those changes were happening. I know it's a big question, but I'm just sort of from your perspective, what you saw.
1: One thing that <clears throat> I am that I'm amazed by still to this day is the loyalty that uh, consumers or restaurateurs, buyers have to a winery or brand once they've had an experience. It's usually an experience at the home base or with the founder. Um, that is something that is Mm unshakable so that that's that's a benefit right to any business that the consolidation can happen and there's a certain amount of loyalty that will just they will buy wine from that wholesaler because they care so much about having Adelsheim Mm -hmm. and then there's a degree of I've had it I can't do business with that person and I want to go back to you know how I got my product so um, it's a challenging time anyone in the wholesale market would tell you that right now I mean the year that uh, the whole industry had from, um, you know, Young's and the r and um, just many changes continuing to happen across the entire West. It's, it's a tough time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say prioritization becomes really challenging as consolidation continues, how everyone gets, um, you know, their share and uh, gets their air time. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for a sales rep to have You know, hundreds of wineries that they're representing, and and going through that process I was talking about of finding the perfect wine for the perfect account, you know, it becomes more challenging as you have more and more uh, wineries in a portfolio.
0: Steven, so you're in direct, direct DTC work now, which you thought was something that had been kind of overlooked here perhaps before. Tell me about how direct sales has changed uh, in the wine industry and specifically what you were looking to do here that was that was different or, or new.
1: Yeah, so direct sales has changed, I mean, not just in the wine industry. We know globally it's changing, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's interesting because we have a unique opportunity as wineries, people are not, Going to brick-and-mortar, you know shopping establishments as much as they once were but they are very interested in experiences Mm -hmm. so we have an opportunity to provide really incredible experiences and um, We're sitting in our caves right now, and uh, this is something that we can offer people and uh, those moments are uh, I, I don't take that lightly. I don't take Uh, It lightly, when people choose to share their time with us, it's something I talk about with my team a lot here as Mm -hmm. well, is, you know, in in Oregon specifically, we have so many wonderful things we can do on a given day. You can wake up on a Saturday in downtown Portland and go skiing or go hiking or, you know, go surfing even in the middle of winter. Um, And so when people decide to go to wine country, okay, they're on their way here, and then they're on their way to wine country and now there's 800 wineries in the state of Oregon. So when they finally get to our parking lot, you know, the opportunity to meet that guest and that customer and provide an experience, uh, is it's an honor, it really is. Um, and I think that moment, how you deliver on that moment is what, uh, it, that's what's becoming more and more competitive. And that's what I see changing in the industry. Where it used to be, uh, you know, even when I was first wine tasting, you could, cruise out to any winery and it was just very, you know, a tasting bar and you tasted the wine and you liked it or you didn't and that was a wonderful experience. And so our, as consumers, I think uh, our baseline of what a wonderful experience is has shifted. Mm -hmm. Those moments still exist and there are a lot of wineries that are doing that very well, Uh, but we needed a a little bit of a refresh. Mm
0: -hmm. So what are you looking for when you're talking about experiences? What do you what, what are consumers looking for and what are you trying to offer uh, them? Uh, obviously, you talk about sort of experience-based, individual-based, so how do you meet that need at a place like Adelsheim?
1: Well, we talk a lot about meeting people where they are. So I, I really believe, you know, we have just like a lot of the wineries right now, we have a vineyard hike and we have this cave experience and we have some really wonderful um, kind of more elaborate experiences for people that really want to get in there. But an experience is also a moment across the bar that is shared where um, you are engaging with that guest in a way that they feel like, ah, okay, they they see me, they hear me, um, they, they're curious about what uh, is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really, experience is, it's very broad, um, but those moments, uh, they matter. Mm-hmm.
0: As those kind of demands have changed for uh, for consumer ex- experiences, are you finding that consumers are also more interested in things they weren't interested in before, and are they asking different questions of the wine industry? I know you're new to this posi- position, but mm-hmm. are they more interested in terroir? Are they more interested in the history? Uh, are you finding more educated consumers?
1: Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean we all have so much information at our fingertips, so even if someone is on their way here reading up on Adelsheim, you know, and they can get on our website and, you know, correct us if we state something incorrectly as well. So, um, definitely, uh, I think the consumer is more educated. I think um, wine is just becoming, um, across the board, um, more more approachable. It's talked about in um, social settings and in music in a different way than maybe it ever has been. Um, so the questions though they they really range it depends on what the individual's interest is based around but we get everything from um, vineyards and um, whether resource or estate to um, winemaking styles the main theme that i see kind of across the board and um, mostly in kind of a our, our younger consumer is Sustainability. Um, what we do, not just sustainability from a you know farming and winery practice, but um, how we take care of our employees. Um, we get a lot of comments about our. Um, we have a, a, like a people page on our website and bios of our team, and um, I'm amazed how many people comment on those elements. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, you know, you hear the word authentic used a lot right now, and I feel like the consumers are digging a little bit for like, are you or aren't you? And how much of this is a marketing spin on authenticity and how much of it is real? And um, I feel very fortunate. It's one of the things that drew me to Adelsheim that we, you know, going back to 1971 and what David and Ginny created uh, and what we're still doing today, we are very authentic and we can tell that story and answer those questions um, with real answers.
0: You talked earlier really about, about David Adelsheim and about sort of not being able to tell the story of Oregon with, without him in it, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if there's an added, an added pressure working at a place like this, working for one of the pioneer wineries that's been around that long. Do you feel that in any way like you're leading the industry in, such, in a certain way or setting a tone uh, when you're working at a place like this?
1: Yes, I wouldn't use the word pressure. I think that we're all, we feel very privileged to carry on uh, his legacy and um, hopefully continue to, you know, fine tune things. Um, and when I, David Adelsheim is very humble in how he talks about the things that he's done. And so part of our job is to uh, naturally introduce some of those things into. Our presentations here so an example I use a lot is um, David introduced the Dijon clone of Chardonnay to Oregon Chardonnay people are tearing out Pinot Gris vineyards and planting Chardonnay and we all love Oregon Chardonnay now and um, that was a huge you know turning point in the Oregon wine industry and um, it's those moments that um, I guess that's where pressure would come in is making sure we're checking those boxes and uh, you know carrying on his legacy Um, but I also think it's really important to be looking forward and talking about what Gina is doing and how um, she's you know making the best possible wine she can and staying relevant and the things that uh, Kelly is doing in the vineyards from sustainability and uh, uh, the crew that we've had for over two decades I'm sure she's talked about Mm -hmm. so Mm
0: What about, um, just to shift a little bit here, I'm curious more about marketing as well as sales, obviously tied in together. How has wine marketing changed since you've been in the industry and what are you doing differently now that maybe you wouldn't have been doing before?
1: Wine marketing has changed uh, in some ways drastically and in others not at all, in my opinion. (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean, we're still doing tech sheets and uh, websites, you know, are uh, more interesting and more engaging, but they still have a lot of the same content that they had when I started in wholesale. Um, What I see changing, of course, is social media and how that really has come into play, product placement, um, influencers, all those things. I think it's confusing for the consumer to know what's what. Um, that's where that authenticity comes in, mm-hmm. um, where you know, and then you still have wine spectator and scores and consumers that are driven by that, which is very old school and um, and in some cases still very relevant. In a lot of cases, still very relevant. So um, I think social media is probably the main way that it's changed. Um, yeah, outside of that, I think there's a bigger uh, need to work in the community in ways we already were but to um, be even more intentional about who you partner with and how you do that because those things can uh, you want to make sure it aligns with your business because there's a very good chance that that will be out there in the world for one of your consumers to see and uh, we're very intentional about that here.
0: On that note, you teamed up with the Blazers last year, somewhere mm-hmm. the 50th anniversary. Tell me about that that project and and why 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 Adelsheim and the Blazers? What was mm-hmm. the combat, what was the the, the the meet up there?
1: Yeah, so I came on board almost as that project. We were kind of in the early launching stages of that. Um, I mean, the, the conversation really started with Joth um, mm-hmm. when he was still here. And I think the main thing is that we're, we're two kind of heritage organ Brands, I guess you call us, right? <laughs> the Blazers and Natal Five, and uh, we're coming up on our 50th anniversary here mm-hmm. next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really interesting project to be a part of. Um, in a lot of ways, super natural fit, and in some other ways, it was um, it stretched us in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw. Some of our biggest days of the year were were a result of partnering up with the Blazers for club release parties or Blazer launch parties, things like that. Just from a foot traffic standpoint, uh, there's a lot of great um, kind of just, you know, exposure out in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I hope that it helps people see us in a, a little bit of a modern light and that we are still, you know, every day waking up and thinking how can we stretch, how can we be be better? Mm -hmm. Um, Because we are. Um, But it was great. I mean, from a consumer standpoint, we saw a lot of foot traffic and people that we may not have otherwise seen.
0: So, you were involved in the, the Women in Wine event the past summer and, mm-hmm. and also at the Assemblage awesome just a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, tell me about your involvement, uh, especially with the Women in Wine event, because I know you were part of the kind of organizing committee for that. Mm-hmm. What was your role and, and why did you feel it, it was important?
1: Well, the, so Women in Wine, um, well, I'll back up a little bit. So, when I was at Young's, I really. Um, I had incredible mentors and allies within the company and outside the company. And it's no secret the wholesale is definitely, uh, (laughs) they're not at 50-50, men and women in roles and have a long ways to go in uh, all areas of diversity. Um, And I know that uh, all of the large companies and small companies, it's it's on the radar and everyone is aware of it. So Mm -hmm. that's great. Um, So when I was at Young's, I was part of the founding um, Women's partner network group um, and through that we established a mentorship program that really took off. So it became something that um, I was talking about this recently with someone and Sometimes you have to build your own bridge to get <laughs> to a place and um, that actually that came up at assemblage um, because it wasn't there but when I asked the question people would say yes and so and I knew there was a need for someone besides me um, I was the most when I left Young's I was the most senior female in the Northwest and um, you know the next level of female in leadership was a district manager so um, I wanted to be a part of bringing women up through the organization so um, through that I attended many different conferences and talks and um, seminars and all sorts of things and Young's was great about saying like yes go tell us what you learn let's learn together and um, at one of those events um, Susan Sokolblosser and I uh, had breakfast with um, Harold McGovern McGovern, who uh, was running the Northwest or still is running the Northwest for Young's and we were talking about like okay Oregon does a really good job of getting together and making things happen and sharing, you know, so many of the stories that you hear I'm mm-hmm. sure go back to people sharing. Mm-hmm. And we we have a lot of women in the business in many different areas, uh, but they don't really get we're not we're not all connected, we're not networking together yet, and we don't really get the airtime like how do we start to put something together here? So Susan and Allison and I and um, Carrie Anderson and Cheryl Wilkerson, who both work for Young's as well, we all kind of came together and started this conversation a few years later. And it just sort of, I mean, it was amazing really, because it started as, okay, we're going to do this thing and we know we need to bring in some really wonderful speakers and we started this project. And then it just took off like a rocket ship. It was like we couldn't even... uh, There was such a need, and people were so hungry for um, interesting conversations and um, navigating this world together. And so, yes, so for year one, I was, um, well, we were a steering committee last year, so I was the chair of the steering committee. This year I'm president of the board, Mm -hmm. so we're an official 501c6. And um, next year, um, I'll move out of the president role and our VP will move into president. So uh, moving forward, it will only be a one-year term because we are 100% volunteer-based board. Um, We have 15 board members this year. And it's, uh, another, it's a part-time job, really, uh, <laughs> managing. And, um, but it's been wonderful. And uh, Alison Blosser and um, Christine Claire and another of other women on our board have really been instrumental in just moving this thing forward. Um, so my involvement last year was mostly on the programming side, um, but then once I moved into that chair position, it was checking in with all of the different subcommittees and uh, making sure we were all on the same page. And and then um, I don't know if you attended. I know Lily attended, um, but yeah. To and least oh, you did. Yeah. Oh great. Um, so I, I'll share. It's kind of hard to leave out this very personal aspect of what happened, but. Um, when I started planning, planning Women & Wine, or when we started planning, planning Women & Wine, it was probably 2017 when the conversation started, and then, um, you know, 2019 was our first official event. In March uh, March 7th of 2018, I had a brain hemorrhage and a tonic colonic seizure, and um, we discovered that I have a mass in my brain, and it was uh, I was... 33 years old, and um, I have four and a half year old twins. My, my twins were two and a half, almost three years old. I was vice president of a states group. It was just like this totally out of left field thing, uh, super rare. And, and when you talk about having to stretch, personally and professionally, it stretched me in a way I didn't know I could. Mm-hmm. And uh, women in wine, what was so awesome about the day when it finally got there um, which was july i think july 7th or 8th it was the monday after fourth of july weekend which uh, was unfortunate but um (laughs) we you know going into it all of a sudden i realized i am going up against one of my biggest fears right now I i had really didn't have a fear around public speaking prior to my brain hemorrhage but anyone who's been through any sort of brain injury it's a long slow wake up and there's this time of like okay it's all there I just need to find it Mm -hmm. and kind of relearning things or also things that just feel like getting on a bike and you know how to do it Mm -hmm. but I had real uh, fear around that and I shared that in my opening because I didn't know what else to do because I was ready to say like I'm not gonna do this and I realized this is exactly why we're doing this Mm -hmm. you know we all have stuff like that's my thing but if we all sat here and took as much time as we needed we all probably have a version of that and that was my point in sharing is we can't uh, those moments cannot define us you know we have to find ways to support ourselves Mm -hmm. to uh, build a network and I was so grateful when i went through that experience i already had uh, a wonderful kind of medical uh, team ended up being a team not great to have a medical <laughs> team but i had a wonderful naturopathic doctor and some other people that helped me build a team uh, but i also had an incredible network professionally that really lifted me up in a way that i you know i don't know I don't know how i would have gotten through it otherwise i would had to take a month off of work and coming back to work i had my seizure at work Mm -hmm. talk about like ultimate vulnerability Mm -hmm. Um, and coming back into the workplace and just being embraced not only by my team but by the whole industry and just that outpouring of support i felt was incredible and so my point in sharing all of that is that i did share a bit of that story in my opening at women in wine because i felt like this is why we're all here if i'm gonna show up in the way uh, that I want others to show up. I need it, it's valuable to share that. Mm-hmm. So um, so women in wine is um, it's something that's near and dear to my heart. And we're in the thick of planning for 2020 right now, uh, getting the program together. Um, and then assemblage, um, I'm not uh, associated through board or anything like that. I've spoken with Rachel many times and she has a really wonderful program that she has built and mm-hmm. it was so oh, I just like It was incredible to attend her symposium a few weeks ago because it just it really shows that there's plenty of space for all of us to explore this world, to hold each other, um, and you know, kind of fill these different um, niches that we all have. Um, Everyone has a different route that they need to be supported throughout their professional, you know, their careers. But I don't. Personal and professional to me, you know, they're one and the same. How we do anything is how we do everything, and so that's really the premise of it all, I guess.
0: I like that. It's a good. How we do anything is how we do everything. That's a good philosophy. It's not I like mine. That. I still it from. <laughs> I'm sure well, someone. That's, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. We'll okay. So I'm curious, you mentioned once the Women & Wine uh, started started going, it took off quickly uh-huh. and, and you were, and uh, tell me what the, what was the drive, what were, what were the needs that people were coming to you? I assume there were consistent messages coming from people like, we need this in the industry. Mm-hmm. What were you hearing at the time and how did your programming reflect those needs?
1: Um, one that was just kind of like right out of the gates and I think it, it's still, and this will. Be relevant probably forever is um, professionalism. You know, supporting just you know anything. Yeah, professionalism is the word I use because in our industry, people come from so many different backgrounds, and even if you have a college education, it doesn't mean that you understand how to navigate inside of a wholesaler or you know inside of a winery. And you're we're working with so many different um, people coming from so many different directions. You know, being on the winery side specifically, you have. Yeah, a number of different entities coming together. So the professionalism uh, is one thing in particular. So um, that looked like um, we had a leadership workshop. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think the unconscious bias breakout session definitely speaks to that, although that is, you know, touches every part of our industry or the world. Um, Really, we all need to, you know, be aware of those blind spots. Um, And then there was an inspirational aspect to it that we knew we wanted, um, we didn't know how much people wanted it, Mm -hmm. so because it was year one and we were doing this based off of conversations we were having within a relatively small group, Mm -hmm. um, we didn't know how well some of these things would be received and what Mm -hmm. people would stick to, so obviously having Cheryl Strayed there was incredible, and uh, I don't know how we're going to top that this year. but uh, she was wonderful. But then, you know, Meg Crofton, who was the former president of Disney Parks and Resorts, mm-hmm. she really brought that professionalism and an inspirational aspect together in a nice way. So the feedback that we got was really um, people loved the being inspired, but inspired by people that were doing things that they felt like, okay, I, you know, it might not be the exact path that I'm on, but mm-hmm. I can do that. Mm-hmm. One, mm-hmm. There was feedback that we got around, you know, not having enough people from the wine industry speaking on their own paths um, and that was honestly just a function of it was hard to get people, everybody has really, you know, full schedules and um, all of our speakers are volunteer based, which is another, you know, huge thing for um, our speakers to travel from all over to come support us. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, as you as you look ahead, uh, I'm curious. Obviously, the first year is a big, like you say. You don't know what you're getting into exactly. You don't know what people are going to respond to. Mm-hmm. What what are you? What were the messages you got back that you're t- taking into this next year in terms of uh, what people wanted more of? And and were there things that caught you completely off guard that people were concerned about that had not come up? Before, uh, before the, the actual symposium.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, in women and wine. So yes, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Were okay. um, the,
0: the things that, the, the feedback that you were like, oh, I never even thought of that? Like, yeah. what, what we, we need to do that now.
1: Um, well, I'll start with that. Um, what we need to do now, and I, we're working on it, but we're not there, which is um, just diversity beyond women. You know, I almost, it's hard because women in wine in itself to me already feels limiting because um, when you look at our industry, it's, you know, We have a long way to go across all aspects Mm um and so i would say that that's something that definitely um, yeah it just struck me like oh that was a miss you know that maybe this is a little bit confining at the same time we have a long way to go for women and it's you know uh it's a route that resonates immediately Mm -hmm. so um yeah as far as things that caught us off guard besides that i mean honestly it was just the response, uh, people were just so. Um, they felt, I, I mean, they just really loved it, and it was. Uh, we, it's kind of like throwing a party, and you're like, are people going to show up? And if they do, are they going to have fun? And we thought it was good. But what's really magical to me about um, doing things like this, because at Young's we did lunches called um, Women Who Love Wine, and we would bring in a local guest speaker and then someone on wellness, and. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, we had a perfect plan in place of like, oh, we'll put this person with that person, and then this winery with all, and it'll be these three, and they'll present in this way, and then, of course, things wouldn't turn out that way, and, and then some, what happened was something better than we ever could have imagined, and that's kind of what happened with Women in Wine, where there's sort of a, the event takes on a life of its own, and uh, what ends up happening, I think, is exactly what people needed, you know, um, and then... Um, yeah, so I would say, I, I think I answered both mm-hmm. aspects of that, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned uh, your previous experience in, in wholesale distribution being uh, in, a, in a big minority as a woman in that industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, ha- as your experience as a woman in the industry, how has, how has that changed? How have, as you have grown in the industry, how has your experience as a, as a woman changed? Does it feel like it's getting better? Are the, there improvements there? Uh, are there noticeable changes or is there still that far to go?
1: There's still a ways to go. Uh, I think that, you know, we see the most um, disparity at the top, you know, there are very few women uh, specifically in the wholesale world in that executive level. Um, supplier side of the world, so wineries and individual suppliers, I think you see, I know we see a lot more women, um, but it's there's still a gap. Um, the sales force, I'm seeing much more women, like when I started at Young's there was maybe it was maybe 10% women in running sales routes, and uh, now that team is probably you know closer to 30 to 50% mm-hmm. depending on you know mm-hmm. the time and the rounds and all that. Um, so that definitely has shifted. Um, the industry it's tough. People don't know how to navigate it, and it's just like anything when uh, you're working with a minority group. It's a lot of times it's on that group, unfortunately, to try to. Tell people how to fix that, and that doesn't quite feel right, and yet I think it's sometimes a place to start. Um, you know, like I said, uh, all of my mentors, bosses, leaders, you know people said yes, but I was founding the Women's Partner Network group, and I was you know bringing the things to the group um, so yeah, we, we, have, we have work to
0: do. <laughs> So you're coming up on your, your one-year anniversary here at, at Adelsheim. I'm, I'm curious, uh, what, are the, what are the things you're proudest of that you've done since you've been here? And, and as you look ahead, what comes next?
1: Um, I'm proud of the team that we've put together. Uh, I really, people are what make this all happen at the end of the day. And um, we have really worked hard to uh, invest in our people and uh, both, you know, in many aspects, you know, education, finding things that uh, engage outside of their daily um, tactical work. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a big one. We didn't have a club manager or a tasting room manager. Uh, We had really kind of a shell of a department when I got here. And so that, it feels good to have those people in place and see the team start to gel. Um, And then... um, the other part of the question was just opportunities
0: for. I'm curious where where, where you're where you're looking next. Uh, you're you're coming up on a year. Where do you see your role and, and the team expanding as you look five, ten years into the future?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I'm spending a lot of time looking at five years into the future right now. It's super important. So for us, it's really um, you asked the question earlier about like what's resonating with consumers. So it's a lot of data collection. It's mm-hmm. the um, It's the stuff that isn't as pretty and fun to do, but extremely important to making informed business decisions. And that was another thing that was not really um, in place when I got here. Mm -hmm. So um, building out our department financials and managing the department by channels, um, getting my team engaged in that so that when we talk about different channels that we can grow, uh, why one area might be more profitable than another, Mm -hmm. things like that. So that's kind of the behind the scenes real, you know, like business aspect of it that is important and as we collect more data um, moving forward and with that data, we can also make decisions about things like, okay, that isn't profitable, but our consumers love it. So we're going to continue doing it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's I'm fine making those decisions, but I want to understand if something isn't going to be profitable or maybe you know, pencil out perfectly why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really, that's the big focus for me. Mm-hmm.
0: What about for yourself personally as you, as you look ahead? Uh, where do you see yourself uh, as you look, as you look down the road?
1: well my moving to the winery side of the business was really is very intentional to diversify myself and grow more um, I would love to run a winery someday um, I find that it brings uh, so many different you know I was kind to talking you about this earlier it brings a number of different aspects together mm-hmm. and the complexity of that is super intriguing mm-hmm. um, I talk about wholesale a lot in a very complex way um, wholesale was you have really three customers, three people that you're serving. You have your team, you know, uh, you have your suppliers that you're managing, and then you have the customers you're actually calling on. And then within that, you have all of the complexity mm-hmm. of managing, and you know, thousands of SKUs, um, Managing a winery is very similar to that. You know you have production, you have vineyard management, you have consumer sales, you have national sales. All of these worlds operate very differently and have very different needs. And that uh, complexity and um, you know the puzzle, and having to find ways to solve that puzzle um, really is super interesting and um, exciting to me. So uh, that's definitely you know, my, my goal. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, how has the Oregon wine industry changed since you've become a part of it? And not just obviously in it as you are now, but mm-hmm. as you were working in sales before, what's different about Oregon wine now than when you started? And what does the industry look like in 2020? What is Where do where we stand right now?
1: Yeah. Hmm. Oh, my gosh. Well, um, I mean, obvi- the obvious, right, is that there's 800 wineries now, so navigating um, that world, right, how I talked about in wholesale, everyone getting their share, finding ways for us all to be relevant because we are and we all have different um, values and you know sets of priorities that we're serving in the marketplace and as businesses and different ways that we contribute to the organ, organ market as a whole. Um, so the, I would say the main way that it's changed is just the number of wineries, which I'm sure you get that answer a lot. Um, and within that, you um, yeah, I mean, I think about it was so much of our focus was on really big, you know, big wineries and brands that people knew very well, which absolutely have their place, and uh, we are very grateful for them in this industry. And towards the end of my time in wholesale specifically, um, I saw you know we were seeking out small, you know, a couple thousand case wineries that were filling gaps in our portfolio. Mm-hmm. So there was just diversity of mm-hmm. size and type and scope and what people were producing. Um, and I guess that's really kind of the main juxtaposition that's happened from then to now.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there Do you, do you foresee a, there being a place for those size wineries as we go forward? And obviously, there's been a lot, of, a lot of consolidation already and outside influence, outside money. Will there always be a place for those? 1,000, 2,000 case wineries?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think so. People, Because those people, um, they're, I mean, if something speaks to you and you have to go do it, you have to go do it. So they're going to exist and and they should, you know? I mean, it's it's what makes the the whole wine world go round. And if you look anywhere in the world, that's what wine industries are made up of. And, you know, we're young by global standards um, and they're still... You know a couple thousand case wineries and million <laughs> case wineries in all of those regions across the world
0: so what do you see as you look ahead for oregon wine in general As you, what's it going to look like in 2030 what will the industry be 10 years down the road
1: i do think that we'll see consolidation on the winery side of things um, and that's just natural you know i think it's cyclical and um, we haven't seen We've seen people selling to larger suppliers, so they're within a portfolio. I think we'll see more of that. Um, but I think on a global scale, we'll be known in a much different way, uh, in the way that I think we deserve to be known, uh, and I'm sure we can all agree on that. Um, I mean, it's an, it's interesting how often we get people to the tasting room that will say, "I've never been to Oregon or the Willamette," and you know, you have to politely like repeat back to them, "Willamette." But, you know, we, Napa and Sonoma um, are wonderful, and they do a really great job at what they do. What we're finding is that people that have been going to Napa and Sonoma for 10, 15, 20 years, they're just adding us on to their rotation of wine country trips. And we're seeing people from East Coast, Midwest, you know, uh, in some cases all over the world. So that's been something that being on the direct-to-consumer side has really opened up my eyes to, wow, like people are still just kind of discovering Oregon, which uh, on the wholesale side of things, I you know, you're talking to um, industry pros who, you know, it's their job to know what's going on in the world of wine. So it was very different. Um, They were informed in a very different way than the Mm -hmm. consumer is. And uh, so that's been, yeah, super eye-opening. I love it. I love seeing people from all over the country and hearing accents and all of it.
0: What's, what challenge does that present to you and your job? If, if there are that many people still discovering or to be discovering, mm-hmm. how what is the challenge to you? How do you get them to discover?
1: Uh, well, getting them to discover, I think, is on all of us in the Oregon wine industry, honestly. you know, It's getting people here. Um, and then, you know, once they show up at Adelsheim, it's that... Delivering that experience that resonates that creates um, what I call a brand ambassador for life. You know, once they've got that moment, um, you know they feel very connected to you. Um, Yeah, I would say that's the main main thing.
0: If uh, someone came to you uh, asking for advice on how to get into the Oregon wine industry, what would your words of wisdom for them be?
1: Make friends. Just go bug people. I mean, that's you just need to get out there and. I and I'm sure part of it is because I went the sales route, and so it's that old adage, you know, you get 99 no's before you get one yes, and so it's just like I don't, you can not respond to me, but I'm just gonna, I'll keep bugging you, or I'll, you know, go to someone else. And uh, if you really want something, I mean, you just have to keep going because if it's meant to, if it's meant to happen, it will, and the right person will respond, or the right person will say yes. I mean, I think about the team of people that took a chance on me at 22 years old uh, and you know that was my that was my moment right <laughs> and um, i believe that that if i was since i am meant to be in this industry that i would have had another moment if it wasn't there with them but um that was my moment and just pursue it fiercely
0: that raises a question i meant to ask you earlier you talked about the 99 no's before you get to one yes How do you learn to live with that? How do you get that thick skin to be in the position you're in and get to to being successful?
1: Uh, I mean, really, that's where the personal growth part comes in and total clarity around uh, myself and how I show up for Mm -hmm. everything. And, um, I mean, I encourage my team with that. You know, it's, it's okay to fail. If you have gone, if you have given something, you know, you're all and you know that you showed up the best way you can and you gotta know, then you just keep on going and that's really, that's it.
0: That's all the questions that I have for you today. uh, Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover that we should have covered?
1: Uh, No, I don't think so. Thank you for being here today.
0: Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your story and your thoughts. Uh, We'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Thanks.